Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded October 24th, 2022. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. In this edition of the podcast, we reflect on hot topics and some of the most interesting things we saw and heard last week. Three big things you need to know. First, we received several questions about how small caps look from a balance sheet perspective. The short answer, worse than large caps given shorter maturities and less exposure to fixed rate debt. This is admittedly a risk to our small cap overweight, but we're sticking with our call. Second, beat rates and earnings growth expectations have continued to soften now that 3Q reporting season is in full swing, as has the tone in company commentary. And third, midterm election developments continue to trend in a stock market-friendly way. Republicans have pulled well ahead of Democrats in the generic congressional ballot and are also now expected to take the Senate in betting markets. If you'd like to hear more, here's another five minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. Now let's jump into the details. Starting with takeaway number one. Last week, we received several questions about how small caps look from a balance sheet perspective. The short answer, worse than large caps. In terms of the stats, the weighted average maturity for Russell 2000 companies is about 4.8 years versus 8.8 years for large caps in the S&P 500. Additionally, there's less fixed rate debt in small cap, a little under 50%, than large caps, a little over 60%. That being said, it's worth noting that the percent of fixed rate debt stabilized in small cap in recent years, ticking up a little bit. This is an issue investors are right to worry about. Worse balance sheets usually contribute to the underperformance that small caps see during or right after Fed tightening cycles. There's one key exception to this rule, though. It's the tightening around the tech bubble period when small caps actually outperformed and went on to outperform large caps for an extended period thereafter. Similar to today, small caps experienced an extended period of underperformance heading in, and there was a big pull forward in spending that inflated large cap growth multiples. Small caps were also deeply discounted relative to large caps in terms of valuation during this period, similar to what we see today. Overall, we see balance sheets as a risk to our small cap overweight, but we're sticking with our call. Moving on to takeaway number two, the earnings story is softening now that 3Q reporting season is in full swing. The percent of companies beating consensus on earnings is tracking at 77%, trending lower compared to prior quarters. Additionally, 2023 EPS bottom-up consensus is tracking at 237, slipping but not sliding just yet. There's also been a softening in company commentary, though again, not quite a slide. Key themes discussed by companies so far this earnings season include ongoing evidence of consumer resiliency. Note we've heard a lot from financials on this topic recently. The characterization of inflation, labor, and supply chains as problems that are or will remain intense, but are admittedly getting better. Some caution on hiring has also been coming up, as has an unwillingness to speak directly on 2023. What's interesting on the forward-looking conversations, though, is that there's a lot of discussion about contingency planning for a worsening macro backdrop. We're also hearing a lot about the significant bites that the stronger U.S. dollar have taken out of earnings from some companies, including a number in tech and materials. But that's happening at the same time as some companies are talking about a tough backdrop in Europe alongside the idea that the U.S. is much more resilient. Wrapping up with takeaway number three, midterm election developments continue to trend in a stock market-friendly way. 
One of the biggest things that jumped out in our high-frequency indicators last week is that betting markets are now expecting the Republicans to win both the Senate and the House. While the Republicans had been gaining ground in the betting markets in the Senate race, it's only been over the past week that the Republicans have decisively pulled ahead in the betting markets for the Senate. This syncs up with trends we've been discussing in the generic congressional ballot polling data over the past few weeks, which is now expecting Republicans to do well. This reversal in momentum comes as inflation and the economy are back on top as the most relevant issues to voters in various polls that have been coming in. We continue to see the midterms as a positive catalyst for the stock market in these final few months of 2022, should Republicans take back control of at least one chamber. Given the tendency of the stock market to rally in the fourth quarter of midterm election years, starting around now actually a few weeks before the contest. There's also a history of strong gains when Democrats control the White House and Republicans control one or both chambers of Congress. And we're also seeing extremely low levels of consumer sentiment among Republicans right now in the University of Michigan survey, which may improve after the midterms if Republicans do indeed do well. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our sister podcast, RBC's Industries in Motion, for thoughts on specific sectors from RBC's team of industry analysts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives. Music